Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got him! Looking away, McCann around third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! He gone! And he makes a catch up against the wall. And he's going to watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes. Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, also on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hookslide, along with my co-host, Rob Rojacki. And Rob, the question, I guess, is did you make it through the week without getting injured? Can you do the show? Did you fracture your wrist, strain any triceps, anything like that? I did hurt my toenail earlier. Did you? Yeah, I was like, I cut it a little bit too short and it was bleeding. <laughs> but here you are, soldiering yeah. ahead, doing yep. the show. Well, that's that's good. I, I had a staying relatively in, staying in the game, unlike certain people. Well, now who are we? Who are we hitting with that one? Well, I was just kind of making fun of Justin. Upton Justin Upton, because yeah. sounds like he's okay, so we can do that. Yep, yep. As long as he's okay, we we have uh, we can. And, and I'm him. totally I'm totally for him coming out of the game at this point. There's no reason to keep going. Right. Well, more on that in a little bit because we do have a full show ahead of us. As we hinted at, we have more injuries to talk about. We talk about who's getting healthier and who isn't. We'll recap the last week's worth of spring training games, taking note of any items of interest along the way. We'll check in on the spring training storylines and see what's unfolding. Of course, we'll take some listener questions, and then we'll wrap up with Anthony Ghost's tiny little tantrum. But before all that, it's time to round the bases and talk about who got hurt this PAX week. I mean, hey, who didn't get hurt? Talk about that after the break. Six two hundred and ten pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone. A home run. Ian Kinsler delivers the walkoff. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home, and the Tigers take the series from KC. A walkoff home run from Kinsler. All right, welcome to our opening segment, Rounding the Bases. We have a lot of injury stuff to talk about, it seems like. Maybe some of it not as serious as others, but it just, uh, well, let's just start with with the fact that Cameron Mabin is actually going to be out for four to six weeks after being hit in the hand uh, during last, I guess it was last Wednesday's game against the Yankees. Uh, They're calling that a, oh crap, what are they they calling that actually? Fracture. Hairline, Hairline fracture. All I could think was dislocated. I knew that didn't make sense. A dislocated no. fracture. Very not the sub. Very much not dislocated. No, just a hairline fracture. But the the question is, is he going to be ready even in time for opening day? I don't necessarily know that he'll be ready for opening day. Um, it sounds like he'll be reevaluated in that four to six week time frame. It's kind of the normal bone healing time for something like that. Even with a hairline fracture, which is really kind of what it sounds like, in that the bone just kind of not necessarily chip, but there's a little crack in it, I guess, right uh, kind of along the edge. Um, and so as far as fractures go, this isn't very serious. He should be back in April. Um, the question is whether he's going to be ready for opening day or if the Tigers are going to take their time a little bit, maybe give him a week or so on the DL, give him some time to just kind of get back into into the swing of things, pun 
slightly in, intended. Um, and just to really get his timing down. You know, maybe they gave him a week in the minors or something like that to work on his timing or whatnot, or maybe he stays back in Lakeland. I'm not sure. Um, so we may see him on the shelf for a little bit, but this doesn't sound like anything that's going to be any sort of long-term problem. No, they did say four to six weeks, and if you do the math, which a bunch of us did immediately, you find out that four weeks would take you right up to the end of the month and the end of March. If he goes for the full six weeks, it's a total of like nine regular season games that he wouldn't be in. But then you got to factor in, yeah, he's going to need some quote-unquote spring training time, some rehab time you know, to get back up to speed, and the stuff that he's missing out on right now. On the other hand, it kind of doesn't matter when I look at it because it's not like Cameron Mabin was, say, Justin Upton. It's not like he was the guy you were looking towards, you know, to, to provide a lot of great defense or, you know, a, a, an offensive powerhouse. It's just it's Cameron Mabin, and I think we can probably do without him for the, for a couple weeks. Well, yeah, I think we can, and I think that Tigers are relying on great defense from him, but they're not necessarily relying on the offense, uh, and I think that that's why they may just kind of, you know, get him back in whenever they can and, you know, just give him some time to get into the, you know, get back to uh, having his timing down with his swing and whatnot. You know, if he, you know, struggles at the plate for a week or two, it's not the end of the world because he's still providing some, some plus defense out in the outfield, hopefully. Um, you know, hopefully the, the things aren't too bad, but, you know, you imagine that, you know, maybe they'll call up some other outfielder or, or whatnot for that week or two and, I don't know, things should be okay. You want to go out on the line here and make some predictions as to how they handle that spot, the, the missing Maybin spot, because I'm uh, I'm kind of leaning towards Winton Bernard as being a nifty little replacement there for a couple of weeks. Well, well, I saw an article today that they said that the Tigers are kind of looking at Winton Bernard as really? a potential replacement for him. <laughs> and I think that it's, <clears throat> with a lot of this stuff, I almost kind of think that actions speak louder than words for some of these things, um, and that we've seen Bernard starting in center field over guys like Tyler Collins um, and John Mayberry and some of the other outfield options that you have in camp right now. Uh, the fact that Bernard's starting with these other guys in the lineup, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, right after Mabin was hurt, that Bernard started in center field with Collins and left and Mayberry at first. I think that that says something. They're really kind of taking a long look at this guy. You know, he's really kind of a perfect platoon partner for Anthony Ghost and the guy that a lot of people who were almost kind of thinking about as a potential platoon partner even before Mayburn was acquired. Right. So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, I still think that he needs some time in the minors. We'll see exactly what he does in AAA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but looking... I wouldn't be against putting, bringing him up to start the year. Right. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he needs to be a full-time you know, spot there, but it's certainly just during that period that Mabin is out. And I think of all the guys that you mentioned there too, uh, you know, as far as Mayberry or uh, Collins, I, I think Bernard is the only one that actually has experience playing center field, or at least more more recently, because he's been doing that since you know since the single A days in West Michigan. Well, yeah, he's definitely the best center fielder of the three. Um, he definitely has the most speed of all of them. You know, that Collins was kind of a below average defender in the corners, and putting him in center field is almost kind of a scary thought right uh, and the fact that he's left-handed doesn't really you that doesn't really give you any reason to play him over anthony ghost like if you're going to have collins playing against a lefty why not just put anthony ghost in there and at least you get the good defense out of that um <clears throat> but with bernard you get a guy who you know he's hit well against lefties in the minors uh, and i think that at this point you know if they're going to bring up someone to play outfield along with anthony ghost i'd rather have it be bernard you know you get a, you get a couple weeks to see what this guy's got see if he can kind of hang at the major leagues see what his defense looks like in a major league ballpark. And, you know, I think that that's, that evaluation time is a little bit more valuable than, you know, having some sort of retread like Mayberry or, you know, a guy in Collins who isn't really going to give you 
much more than what you already have on the roster. Let's move on from from the Cameron Mabin issue, uh, which is a little more serious in the sense that we know he's going to be out for quite a bit of time, uh, relatively speaking anyway, uh, to someone like uh, Anibal Sanchez, who we've talked about in past podcasts, and we knew that he was sidelined uh, because I think it was triceps inflammation. So it was an inflammation of some sort, uh, but I yeah. know he was coming to the end of that cycle now and ready to start pitching again, throwing bullpen sessions, that sort of thing. Have, you, have we had any kind of update? I haven't seen anything as of this recording. Um, Tuesday night. I haven't seen anything updated on, on what he's doing now. Well, he's thrown a couple of bullpens. Uh, I think he threw one over the weekend. Um, it's kind of fuzzy because I was looking at it. They sent him home on like Friday or Saturday because he had some sort of like cold or he was sick or something yes. like that. I think the um, term bronchial issue was used. But they did that and then I think he threw the bullpen like the next day. Hmm. I don't know if he threw it at home or if he threw it with the Tigers or what. Um, but then he threw another one Tuesday, I think. Yeah, Tuesday. Uh, 50 pitches. Did I just say like that it was Tuesday? Day. I think I just said it was Tuesday. It it's is, not Tuesday. It's, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Yeah. God. Awesome. It's, I don't know what day it is. Um, but <clears throat> he threw one on Tuesday and seemed like everything went okay. I guess he's going to throw... Um, he's going to throw live batting practice on Friday, and then should, he could get into a game next week. Yeah, that's kind of more what I was looking for. I know I'd seen a couple little updates about, you know, maybe the the fact that he was going to throw a bullpen, that he had the bronchial issue. I guess I was maybe more looking for, have we have you heard anything about, have they targeted him for a day that he can actually get out there and start a game? Because we've seen Verlander start, we've seen Zimmerman, we've seen Pelfrey a couple times. Still waiting to see Anibal Sanchez, you know, actually throw a game. I don't think there's any date on, like, an actual start for him yet, but I believe if he throws on Friday, he'll probably start, like, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. Hmm. Um, but I was doing the math today, and the Tigers don't necessarily need, they don't even need a third starter until April 8th is when they have their home opener against the Yankees, and they don't need a fifth starter until April 12th. So even if Sanchez, you know, being slightly behind some of the other starters right now, I don't necessarily that's gonna think that's going to jeopardize anything. You know, the Tigers may... We don't even know what they were going to do when he was healthy. Were they going to start Sanchez in that home opener? Were they going to put Daniel Norris there and kind of split up the rotation as far as righties, lefties, you know, older guys, younger guys, and whatnot? Um, we're not really sure. So, you know, maybe you'd think Sanchez probably would have gotten the whole honor of starting the home opener, but right. now it's kind of up in the air. But I, I think that they'll be okay. Yeah, because they have a boy. They have a weird schedule. If I was looking at that yesterday, uh, in terms of they don't, the Tigers don't actually play on opening day. No, and it's crap. It is absolute crap. But they're not only are they not playing on opening day, they're playing like a night game, I think, to start the season, and they're playing in the National League. So they get to, and they do that at the end of the season too. So it's it's kind of an ugly schedule. But after they play that, what is it like a two game set against the Marlins? I think there's a yeah. weird like. Then they have a day off, and they play again. Then they have like two days off, and they have another game. It's like a weird thing that happens. Before no, they... it's actually kind of they they play the two games, then they have a day off. Then they go into just kind of a full schedule right there. And there's not necessarily like the like game, then day off, then game, then day off that they've had in years past. Mm -hmm. So they do need that fifth fifth starter fairly early compared to other years. Um, they need it, and I believe it's like the sixth or seventh game of the year that they're going to need a fifth starter. So it's a little bit earlier than before. Um, but yeah, that, that series in Miami is weird. The only thing that I'm really like happy about with this whole late start to the season is that we get to see Jose Fernandez against Justin Verlander to start the year. And that's a heck of a way to kick things off. I mean, 
you got to enjoy that. It's it's not going to go well, I don't think, for us as Tigers. I mean, not that it's really going to go well for them as Marlins either. I wouldn't want to deal with Justin Verlander, but whew, that's going to be a that's going to be an ace off, fun to watch. I, I think Jose Fernandez is still undefeated at home. He's never lost a home game. Did I, not know that. Well, there'll be a fun storyline to watch. Okay, I see what I I see where the confusion was. I'm looking at the schedule now. And it's it's the fact that April 1st and 2nd, they're still playing spring training games. So there's like a game, then a game, then two days off, then the two Yeah, Marlins they always games, do that. Then a, game, then a day off, so it's, it's, it is kind of goofy there for, for that week. Do the do the Tigers have like that weird exhibition that they play somewhere else? You know how they've done that like in years past? Like they played against the Rays or whatever last year in Tampa. Um, I know uh, that they played... I think they played here against the Nationals one year. They are doing... Yeah, so Friday, April 1st, is they're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, and then to end the spring training season, they're playing at the Atlanta Braves. I'm not sure if that means they're going to play like actually at Braves Stadium in Atlanta, or if that means they're just playing at Disney World. Well, they usually do some sort of game like that. I know that they, like, like as they're going north, they hit somewhere to go for a mm-hmm. game. Maybe, I think they played, like, maybe in Philly. Well, that's the weird thing is they're like going that. south. They're not going north. True, that is a good point. It's it's very weird, and Dan and Jim have been talking about it. Like, literally every game, they bring up the fact that, oh, yeah, we're not going north to start the season, and they're very confused by this. So it's just a weird, weird schedule. They played Toledo one year, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't you know, know what is nice? I, I, maybe you just said this while I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at a schedule, but I was going to say the thing that I, I did think was nice about the fact that they're ending the season in the National League, they're ending it with the Atlanta Braves, is that from what we saw of the Braves in spring training, that team is just a hot mess. And even Dan and Jim were saying this is a team that could easily lose 100 games. They're just going to, everybody in baseball is going to walk all over them and make fun of them behind their backs. It's going to be horrible. So, I'd rather uh, play. I, isn't that kind of cool that we're ending the season that way? So, if the, the, the AL Central race gets a little bit heated and tight and it comes down to the Tigers needing to win that one extra game or two extra games, it's really nice to know you're going up against the stupid Atlanta Braves at the end. It is kind of cool, but I'd kind of rather play them at the start of the season when they're going to be like total hot garbage and, <laughs> you know, maybe not some of those promising pros without some of those promising prospects right. that are going to keep in the minor leagues. So I wouldn't mind starting the season with them. Um, but just, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it now. Jose Fernandez is 17 and 0 at home. So grief. potential to to make some history there. Something to root for for opening day, I guess, or opening night as the case may be. Did I have that part at least? Yeah, it is. It's a 7 10 game. Well, I mean, the people that's like uh, normal time. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I was gonna say the people that normally miss the game because of work will be plenty happy to hear that that's gonna. So I'm I'm good with this. I can watch it live. I shouldn't complain. Uh, So we yeah from Animal uh, Sanchez, we were talking about the you know the injury issues. Let me get my notes straight here so I don't just blither on. Uh, Alex Wilson is the other name on the list that we kind of got to talk about. Uh, You know, he had that issue with his, I think it was his shoulder that was hurting and he still has not gone back to throwing yet, which is a little bit bothersome to me because I think he's kind of, you know, he's one of those core members of the back end, you know, part of that bullpen. It's bothersome to the Tigers too. I think I remember reading something earlier this week that, you know, the Tigers were kind of hoping that he'd be back to throwing right now. And it seems like whatever he's had is still just kind of lingering a little bit there. I'm reading an, an update from M live on Monday. Uh, apparently there's a new writer at M live, Aaron McMahon. Hmm. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, he's been, hasn't thrown for a week now. Uh, and I don't think he's gone back to it even as of, uh, today on Wednesday. So 
we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, that is kind of concerning. I know that relievers don't necessarily need as much time to get ready. I didn't think that Francisco Rodriguez still hasn't even pitched in the game yet. Um, so correct. it's it's not a huge concern that he's not throwing as far as like being ready for the season. But it's definitely not great that he's still hurting. Yeah, I guess that's maybe the bigger concern, like you're alluding to. It's it, what exactly is going on with that arm that you're not able to get back. It's been more than a week, I think, since he kind of stepped back and took a break. So yeah, it's like, um, are you are you going to be okay there, buddy? Because we we are going to need you to be <laughs> available for games at some point. Maybe even if it's not right away. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking to him to be more kind of a uh, not a setup man. It's not the word I want. Um, not even a specialist, but you know, some yeah, fireman type role I guess get you out of a jam if you need to uh, maybe do some long relief that kind of thing he's going to be a valuable part um, so if he's not able to to play that role who who replaces him for that for those couple weeks or whatever it takes before he's he's back I imagine that that's probably going to be like whoever doesn't really win the fifth starter job so you're probably looking at like a Shane Green type hmm. to take that role. You know, we'll see what exactly happens with the rest of that bullpen. You know, there's still two more spots available, but I guess that Green would get some of those innings maybe. I mean, maybe you're looking at a guy like Drew Haverhey and uh Bruce Rondon's looked okay in some some appearances so far. Um so it's kind of tough to say, you know, some of those guys that are competing for that sixth and seventh spot in the bullpen will be kind of pushed up into that role for now. Uh, and I think that a guy like Wilson is very important for the start of the season because a lot of your starters aren't necessarily going as deep into games. Exactly. I know that in the years past, you know, even guys like Verlander have only thrown like what, 100 and maybe, maybe 110 pitches to start the year in some of those games. And some of these guys aren't even aren't even hitting 100 pitches yet. So you're going to need some of those uh, bullpen arms to start the year. And if Wilson can't go, that's really kind of a big blow, and hopefully it doesn't cost them too many games early. And then finally, we've got to talk a little bit about Nick Castellanos because he left Monday's game um, after making a weird little field, of, fielding a chopper ground ball, and he made a weird throw over to first base that Casey McGee bobbled. And then uh, Nick came out of the game after that inning and didn't come back and said he had some back tightness. And he hasn't been back since. I think I want to say that's well, that's a, that's at least a game and a half. I, I expected to see him back in the lineup today, but he wasn't. But uh, I guess these things do happen, don't they? They do. I remember that like it was like a yearly ritual. Alex Avila would have back tightness, uh, and still ended up being fine. So hopefully, with Castellanos not needing to go into a catcher's crouch behind the plate, that'll <laughs> expedite the process in getting him back. And, you know, we'll see. I'm not necessarily concerned about him yet. Yeah, he's he's young. He'll bounce back just fine. I, I'd like to see him sooner than later, just because I was having fun watching, you know, what he was up to, and, and he looked pretty good in a couple of those at bats. So I'm, you know, eager to see him return back to action as soon as as soon as he feels better. Uh, one last note before we wrap up this segment: the Tigers have made yet another move. Uh, I swear, to, I thought they were done after signing Bobby Parnell, but no, they went ahead and signed Lucas Harrell. Wasn't he with the Astros? He was with the Astros, and I, I thought I remember hearing something about the Tigers signing him like two or three weeks ago, and so when they announced it, you know, the other day, I was like, didn't that already happen? Um, you know, Harold is, I think is kind of like a sinker ball or a ground ball type pitcher who had a good year in like 2011 or 2012, but didn't really pitch very well. He actually pitched in Korea last year. He wasn't even mm -hmm. with the Astros. His last major league action came back in like April or May of 2014. Um, so he's probably more of a depth signing at this point. Uh, and I think that if we do see him, it's more of a things have gone wrong type 
situation. Yeah, it was certainly nothing to really raise the eyebrows necessarily. For whatever I read, stuff that we put on our site or just gathering from tweets or elsewhere, you know, and looking and saying he's pitched like all of three major league games in the last couple of years or something like that. It was really kind of an underwhelming thing. And so, you know, to your point, yes, he's probably for depth because we were just talking about what if Alex Wilson is down for any amount of time? It's good to have the depth, I guess. But other than that, nothing to really get too terribly excited about. All right, that will do it for our rounding the bases segment. We'll take a short break, come back for warming in the pen. The Tigers have improved their record to zero and zero. We'll talk about what that means after the break. Here's the 2 2. It's in the fly ball, right field, deep and down the line, and gone! Victor Martinez with a two run shot. Tigers back on top here in the seventh. They lead it seven to six. And welcome back from the break. We're going into our warming in the pen segment. Going to rehearse and rehash a little bit of what happened in spring training last week. Rob, the Tigers have improved their record to zero and zero, which is just kind of a way of saying these games really don't matter. But what is their actual spring training record right now? I think it's like five and four. They're six and four, six according and four. to the box score that I'm looking at right now. I okay. don't know if that includes the Florida Southern game, but... MLB.com has them at six and four. Okay, I've, I've they noticed beat the that, Nationals today. Yes, they did, and they beat them soundly, which is why I was surprised the other day when I, somebody showed their tweeted their record and it was like four and four, and I thought that's weird because I'm pretty sure every game that I've watched or listened to, they've won. It seems like they're just winning everything right now. It's been really kind of fun to watch. It has been. Um, you know, I was able to watch the last couple games. Uh, in particular, I watched the whole game on, when did they play the Rays? Monday? Yeah. Or was that Tuesday? Uh, no, the one with Dan remember. Dickerson doing yes. the broadcast. That's Tuesday. the one I watched. Yes. Um, and, you know, it was kind of fun to watch, you know, bringing in some of the some of the minor league guys. I thought Joe Jimenez looked amazing. Oh, my oh, God. Can't yeah. wait for him. Yeah. Holy crap. Um, but it, it really is kind of fun to watch some of these guys, more of the younger guys than anything. You know, you see guys like Ian Kins or Miguel Cabrera. They're kind of just getting their work in, really. But getting some of the younger guys in, they're really trying to make a, an impression. Um, I thought Brian Holiday obviously looked pretty good. You know, he's hitting like 9,000 right now. Um, <clears throat> and some of the other guys. I know a minor league guy named Confessor Lara. Lara. Yep. Um, looked pretty good as well. You know, some kind of easy heat from the right side. We'll see if he turns into anything. I know that his control is kind of a big, big issue right now. Uh, we talked about him previously, either on the site or the podcast or both. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. But in general, uh, you know, it's it's just kind of fun to, to watch some of these games. You can kind of tune out a little bit. Sometimes I zone out a little bit too much, but, you know, it's spring training. Yeah, and they're, they're early enough in the spring training season that, uh, you know, the starting pitchers aren't throwing much more than like 50 pitches or so. Um, certainly not beyond that. And that means even the starting position players aren't playing the full game. So I know that kind of tends to build up. It gets a little bit longer and longer as they get closer to the end of that. By the end, you'll start seeing the, the starters go five, six innings. Um, you know, you'll see the, the starting position players hang around a bit longer. So, but for now, you've got like, it's prospect heaven. You just get to watch all these guys, who, like half of them you don't even know. Confessor Lara is one of them. Um, I, I remember catching bits and pieces of him, I think when he was with the Whitecaps, but nothing that like made a, an impression <laughs> just to see him back out in the uniform going, oh yeah, that guy, I completely forgot he was even like in the organization. Yeah, and it sounds like he kind of took a step forward last year. 
Um, we'll see exactly what happens with him. You know, he had some really good numbers at Lakeland for a little while and then got promoted to Erie and the control issues and whatnot started to creep back in. So, uh, you know, if he turns in anything great, but you know, we've got, we've got a couple other good relievers in the system too. Let's talk a little bit about what you just alluded to. The fact that Brian holiday has got an OPS of like 9,000 right now. And that's not really, I mean, it's an exaggeration, but it's not far from where he really is. I think he's like still over 2,000 for his OPS. Uh, he's hit like three home runs. He's got some doubles. I think he's almost to the double-digit RBI mark, and that's in a week, you know, a little more than a week. Um, we have to kind of camp out there a little bit and talk about the, um, what will we call this, the sort of uh, mirage of spring training. Yeah, and I think that you see this a lot with some of the guys that are kind of on the fringe of the roster. Um, you know, guys that know that they have to come in in spring training and press to be able to keep their jobs is that they almost kind of into spring training a little bit more ready than some of the other guys. You know, they've taken the off season a little bit more seriously, and they've gotten you know a lot of their sort of their swings in and whatnot. Uh, Holiday, I know in particular, was working on some swing changes throughout the off season. Um, so you know, he kind of almost comes into camp a little bit ahead. Of everyone else, it's like, you know, in high school sports, like the person that's actually been training all summer, it's very obvious uh, at the start of the year. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And, you know, obviously this is, you know, a, a very small sample size, and it'll be interesting to see how he progresses over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, obviously he's not going to continue to hit. Like, I think he's like actually hitting something like six or 700 right now. He's not going to continue to do that, obviously. But if he can maintain some of the, you know, the, the power that he's shown so far and hitting the ball, um, you know, really to all fields, he's kind of swinging at everything right now, but if he can continue to show some of that power, even if he's not necessarily going to hit for a high average, that's valuable from a backup. Um, you know, the, that was kind of one of the things that was missing from a guy like holiday's game is that he wasn't really doing too much offensively to stand out, but if he can start to hit for some more power, you know, hit you 10 home runs a year as a backup catcher, that's, you know, a pretty, pretty valuable asset to have. And something that uh, Jim Price was talking about during, I think it was either today's game or yesterday's game, um, just exactly that thing, that as a backup catcher, and I think he said he was telling this to Brian Holiday, you know, as part of the advice he was giving him, was saying, if you're coming in looking to, to score a backup role, then yes, power is what you need to kind of focus on, because that's what they're going to see as, as something valuable. Having a catcher that can come off the bench and bring a little power to the game, and that's something he certainly done over the last week and a half or so and even looking at who he's squaring off against who is he having that success against I was kind of surprised because I expected to see like oh yeah he's he's doing this off of minor league pitchers but he's not uh the home run that he hit the other day was off of uh Strasburg with the Nationals and I think the one that he hit the week before that the Grand Slam was off of Severino for the Yankees I mean these guys aren't you know, the, the the double A kids that are just up there trying to, you know, test their fastball out or whatever. He's hitting genuine, genuinely good pitchers. Yeah, but I think that we also need to kind of to step back from that in that, you know, you get a guy like Strasburg. Uh, was he throwing any off-speed pitches in that game? You know, a lot of the times these pitchers at the start of the at the start of spring are really only throwing fastballs. They're maybe throwing one or two pitches to just kind of get back into things. Uh, and they don't even start throwing some of their off-speed stuff late until later in the spring. Uh, it's great that Holiday can hit a fastball, um, but at the same time, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of exactly how he how he progresses as he gets further along in his spring training. And even early on, you almost might see some of the minor league guys 
throwing a bit more of their arsenal because they're you know they're trying to impress they're trying to move up the ladder a little bit whereas the big league guys are really kind of treating this like it is they're treating it like practice basically um so i think that you know that first week it i don't necessarily want to say it's more impressive that you know that the for a guy to homer off a minor league pitcher but i think that you know the you you have to take the you know the matchups with a grain of salt yes uh but let's let's move on from from Holiday just for a second because uh, there's another character in this mix that I want to I, I want to kind of stay on the same vein these same subjects and the pitchers that are you know going out there and facing these hitters. Stephen Moya uh, has been a bit of a revelation in the last couple of games that he's been. You know we we talked about him on this podcast all off season and I mean I was pretty down on the guy you know because of what I'd seen in the years past, somebody who just tends to hack away at anything that's up there, doesn't really have a lot of plate discipline. Yeah, he can hit the ball 6,000 feet if he ever makes contact, but he doesn't make contact. He seems to be trying to make some adjustments right now. It seems like it. Uh, I know he took the, he took a walk the other day, which is cool. Um, and really, that was actually a great at-bat. I remember watching that, and that he fouled off a couple pitches with two strikes. Uh, the one that I was most impressed with was uh, a breaking ball that he was able to stay back on and fouled it off the opposite way. He ended up hitting it like 350 feet the opposite way foul, yes. um, which you know goes to show just how much power this guy has. But the fact that he was you know kind of laying off that pitch, uh, he took a couple close pitches. Uh, you know, I know this was kind of in the later innings, so I think this was against more of a minor league pitcher. But at the same time, you know, it was a, it was a great at bat for him. He worked that walk, and if he can do that with even some consistency and improve his walk rate a little bit, you know, that's a guy that you legitimately could start in the outfield because we've seen a couple times this spring that he can hit the ball a mile. I know that the there was a, a point during the broadcast uh, yesterday where the they showed some sort of structure in like right field that was very, very tall. And they were like, yeah, Moyle just hit a bomb over that yes. yesterday in a game. Um, so <clears throat> he's a guy with, you know, legitimate 20, 25, 30 home run power. And if he's able to kind of lay off some of the crap pitches and really get pitchers to, to come at him in the zone, then he could do some serious damage at any level. And you talk about the fact that typically he's been coming into these games later, you know, seventh, eighth inning you know, somewhere in there. Uh, and by then, it, it is the minor league pitchers that are on the mound. And when you were just saying earlier about how the minor leaguers tend to maybe use more of their arsenal, that's what triggered that that memory before I butchered that transition into talking about Stephen Moya, is the fact that, yeah, he seems to have been facing a, a wider range of pitches. Uh, and as you mentioned, seemingly recognizing them a little better, laying off some of the bad ones. The one thing that still gives me just a little bit of pause, like, ah, he's not quite there yet is when when I see him taking cuts of those fastballs and the hit swing is just so loopy and long, it's like he's got to find a way to shorten that stroke or he's going to keep just whiffing at air. Well, the the question is, is he going to be able to shorten that stroke? Uh, you know, he's a big guy. He's like six, seven, six, eight. He's got some long arms. Yeah, he's arms never like going 10 feet long. He's never going to, you know, have the real kind of short, compact stroke that you're looking for from a smaller guy. Um, so there's always going to be a swing, some swing and miss to his game. You know, he's still probably going to strike out at a 30% rate in the major leagues. It really just kind of depends on what he does with that other 70%. You know, if you strike out 30% of the time, but you hit a ton of home runs, like another big guy like Chris Davis, and you can take some walks along the way, that's huge. Uh, so we'll see with that. I'm not necessarily concerned about the length of the swing. I'm more concerned about the, the pitch recognition at this point. Who would you say were some of the bigger disappointments from this past week so far? One of the big guys, one of the guys that I've really kind of been disappointed in so far is uh, purely from a results perspective is Blaine Hardy. 
Hmm, um, yeah. You know, he, this is a guy that really kind of struggled towards the end of the year. I believe he uh, allowed an OPS in like the 850 range in the second half of last yeah, season. The second half was not good. Uh, no, it wasn't very good. And with a guy like him who, you know, he barely hits 90 miles an hour of the fastball and is really kind of getting by on on mixing pitches and hitting his spots and whatnot, if he's getting lit up like that, it's really kind of concerning. Uh, and this is a guy who he hasn't pitched well so far in the spring. I believe he got hit up for another couple runs today. Uh, and the, the part that I'm really concerned about is he's giving up quite a few hits to lefties. I know that right. he hung a, a fastball to, well, I'm blanking on the left-hander's name right now, uh, in one of the games that I watched earlier in the spring. I think it was against the Yankees uh, that he hung a pitch badly to a lefty there. Uh, it was Dustin Ackley, now that I remember. Uh, and then uh, I saw a tweet from Chris McCoskey today that uh, that Hardy gave up a couple of hits uh, to back-to-back lefties in today's game, too. So if he's not even able to get lefties out uh, during the spring, I know, you know, spring training and all that, but still, it's not exactly the the uh, most encouraging thing heading into the season. Yeah, you do want to see, even though it is just spring training, you do want to see, uh, you know, it's not so much the results as it is the process. You want to see things that look good. You want to say, okay, he's throwing the ball well, and he's, you know, he's confusing batters, he's missing bats, and I'm not seeing that yet. And when you do look at, the end of you know the second half of last year, how the results were turning a little bit, certainly a different performance from the, from the first half. Uh, you just really hope that 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 was an anomaly and that he'll kind of bounce back from that. So it's something definitely to keep an eye on uh, throughout the rest of spring training and even into the start of the season. Because yeah, Blaine Hardy and Alex Wilson are kind of I consider them, you know, anchors uh, before you have to get to guys like Justin Wilson and, and Mark Lowe and, and so forth. Uh, for me. I don't know if there's been like a big disappointment yet. I mean, outside of Blaine Hardy, I've noticed that too. But I think the one thing that I've noticed that I've kind of just scratched my head and said, oh, is the entire reserve bullpen has just been so underwhelming. And I keep watching this and they run out all these, anybody not named, you know, Justin Wilson or Mark Lowe or some of these other guys, you know, who was the one, there was a guy named Weber, Thad, Weber that went, you know, AJ Ladwig, uh, Jose Valdez has seen some time. These guys are going out there and they're getting smacked around like mad. And all I can think is we really don't have a lot of depth. I mean, I know some people, you know, maybe the national writers wanted to pick on us for that and say they don't have depth, but man, it really looks like it. If, if any of the, the bullpen arms that we plan on having on the 25 man roster get hurt, there's not a ton sitting in the minor leagues right now that that can help us with that. It really does. You know, we really don't have a lot of depth. And you mentioned, we mentioned in the last segment, Alex Wilson is still hasn't picked up a ball in over a week. Um, if you, you know, you take him out of the equation, you've got a bullpen of, you know, K-Rod and Mark Lowe and Justin Wilson. And then what's after that? Blaine Hardy, you know, is hopefully going to bounce back from this and provide, you know, some decent innings from the left side. But then you're back to relying on a guy like Bruce Rondone who hasn't really been all that consistent throughout his career. Uh, you know, Drew Verhagen, Shane Green, some of these other guys, you know, they're, they're major question marks. Uh, you know, it's nice to have those question marks in the fifth and sixth inning as opposed to the eighth inning this year. But at the same time, it's not exactly a position you want to be in at this point. Uh, you know, hopefully someone steps up and really kind of, you know, outperforms our uh, expectations. But uh, over the last couple of years of guys not doing, it's really kind of hard to expect that at this point. Now, I, I see you left me a little note here in the show notes, and I can only assume that you put this in there to get me riled up or piss me off or something, because it says that Mike Pelfrey's start wasn't all that great. Um, yeah, we're we, we going to tangle on that one. 
And we're talking about the, the the Monday start against the Mets, right? Yeah, the one where he kind of got hit around a little bit. I, I kind of liked that start. I mean, it, yeah, he set the bar pretty high when he threw a freaking perfect game for three innings, uh, you know, the week before. He came back out on Monday, and yeah, I think he... It was weird to me that he spent the entire first inning and a half throwing nothing but fastballs. He really didn't even mix any off-speed stuff in there. But then I heard, you know, the the announcers talking about, hey, he's, I think he's throwing a cutter. I've never seen him throw a cutter. Is he trying to, you know, throw a new pitch? And I thought, well, maybe that's what he's doing while he's out there. But yeah, towards the end of, I think he threw 50 pitches and then Brad Osmus pulled him. But towards the end of the outing, he did seem like he was missing more spots with the fastball. He was trying to get guys to chase down in the zone and just wasn't making it look good enough. Yeah, but then he had to deal with some stupidity in the field too, like that Castellanos error that, you know, that that whole thing. So it was it was just was that the okay. was that the one where did he like bounce a throw to Casey McGee or something yes, like that? Yes, he bounced the yeah. throw to Casey McGee, who was like the first of twenty seven errors he committed in that game. Yeah, McGee is bad. Wow, <laughs> butchered it so bad. Wash. It is incredibly hard. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yes. Um, no, and I was interested to hear that, too, as far as Pelfrey throwing the cutter. Uh, this is really, you know, and I'm almost kind of wondering what Rich Doobie is doing with some of these guys. Because, you know, you, you hear about him throwing a cutter. You hear about Matt Boyd kind of tightening up his slider a little bit. Apparently, Justin Verlander has maybe even been you know, kind of experimenting a little bit with a cutter. Like, is this Doobie doing all this, or are these guys just kind of picking up a cutter on their own? You know, where is this coming from? And if we get, you know, some of the other guys, there's someone else. Um, Jimenez is, is one I'm thinking Jimenez? of. I'm, they're talking about I'm getting mixed reports on, on Twitter. I even asked Dan Hasty. said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he ever threw a curveball in West Michigan. I saw a slider, <sighs> and so the mixed reports are, some are saying no, he he added a curveball to his repertoire. Others are saying no, he just changed the speed on his slider, so it looks more like a curve. But either way, that's he's doing something new. That pitch never had that much, uh, you know, break on it. Yeah, whatever, whatever he threw on Tuesday, that thing was nasty. Who cares what you call it? It's not going to get hit. And who cares what you call it? I've never seen him throw it. So he's doing something new. Whether that's Doobie, that's you know, kind of messing around with it or not, I don't know. But yeah, there's it does seem to be a lot of tinkering going on and you know what the other issue is too is um i know dan and jim have talked about this several times the fact that doobie likes to kind of advance the philosophy of pitching inside and i've been hearing that a lot this spring that a lot of these pitchers now are tending to work inside a lot more than they used to hey i'll take that um you know i'm i'm been very interested in kind of the whole uh tinkering aspect of spring training too it seems like they're doing that more than they did in years past, so I oh, wonder, yeah. like, what kind, what kind of impact Doobie is having on this? If this is Doobie, if this is coming from somewhere else in the organization, um, you know, kind of what exactly is going on with that? But you know, I like that they're going to pitch inside a little bit more. I know that the the Pirates have done quite a bit of that over the past couple of years. I know that they've hit quite a few guys, and some of their guys have gotten hit too. Um, so that's going to be, you know, kind of something to watch for, but, uh, their, their pitching staff has been so effective that, you know, it's hard to argue with those results. So there it is. Yes. The Pelfrey start was not as great as the previous one. I thought it was still okay. He definitely, the one huge difference that I noticed is that in last week's game, he threw a lot of high fastballs and had a lot of guys chasing the high fastballs in this game. He was throwing exclusively fastballs low 
and he didn't have the infield, the great infield defense behind him for that game. So we'll, we'll, we'll give him a pass. He, he left with the bases loaded, and then whoever came in to relieve him immediately <laughs> emptied the bases. So yay, bullpen. Good job, guys. All right. We will call that good for warming in the pen, unless you had something else. No? Okay. Uh, when we get back with high and tight, we'll talk a little bit more about these spring training storylines because, man, they are starting to get good right after the break. A fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at bat of the day. Well, welcome back to the high and tight segment. We're going to delve a little bit deeper here into some of these spring training storylines that we initially talked about a couple weeks back when spring training was just getting going. We said, who do you want to keep an eye on? You know, what are the, the stories we're watching? And some of it's starting to kind of unfold now. And it's it's starting to get a little bit interesting, especially I think number number one on the list obviously has to be the, the battle of the backup catcher. We've got Brian Holiday, who is just playing out of his mind. On the other hand, Jared Saltalamaki is not exactly slouching in, in in the presence of this. He's also hitting home runs. He's also hitting doubles. He's kind of keeping right up with, with Brian Holiday. How do you see yeah, this he, one ending? He hit another home run today, didn't he? Saltalamacchia? Yeah. I believe you are. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yep. So he's hitting, I'm pulling it up now, he's hitting 500 this spring with an OPS just under 2,000. So it's not exactly like, you know, he's, you know, Holiday's giving him a run for, I mean, you know, how they giving a little bit of run for his money a little bit, but he's doing his part to really kind of cement his spot on the roster too. Um, you know, I still don't think it's much of a battle per se in that I think Salta Lamakia, you know, having a strong spring is going to take that job fairly easily. Um, but it, it's just interesting to see both these guys kind of toe to toe at it so far. Um, I think Salta Lamakia, this was kind of one of the first chances that he's actually like caught in a game. I know that he's DH'd a couple times, so I don't necessarily, you know, today's game wasn't on TV and we didn't get to see him behind the plate as much, but it's not like Holiday's been the best defender either. So, you know, it, it's just, it's just always nice to see, you know, a couple of these guys really kind of come out hot and swinging the bat well and, you know, home runs are always fun too. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm pretty sure, you know, Jared Saltalamaki could have a horrible spring and probably still get the job. That's what they signed him to do. That he's the veteran presence that's going to back up James McCann and be a great platoon partner, you know, for James McCann. It's it's a long, long shot for Brian Holiday to to steal that role away from him. And the fact that not only is Saltalamaki not sucking right now, he's actually tearing the cover off the ball. It just, uh, there's there's no way Brian Holiday is going to do anything other than, well, I guess we'll have to talk about that a little bit later, where where Brian Holiday is going to end up, but he's not going to get that, that major league job, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I think Salton Lamaki has got that on a lockdown. Um, it seems like McCann has gotten off to a little bit of a slow start offensively, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. at the same time, his job isn't in jeopardy at all. Uh, I guess the the real question will be, you know, how much does he play over Salton Lamakia against righties this year? Uh, and, and that'll be that'll be something to watch more during the regular season. I don't necessarily know that we're going to get too much. Uh, we're going to get we're going to get too much of an indication of that out of spring training. Uh, the only other thing I hope is that we get to see McCann behind the plate in some of these games on TV coming up because it seems like you know guys run a lot in spring training. So you know what, Let's bring out the McCann in a little bit, huh? Does he? You had the stats there. I thought hasn't he thrown out a couple runners? At this point, or did I? Uh, I don't know. That? I'm just looking at today's box score. I don't oh, have okay. it in front of me. I'll have to, to look into that later. I want to say he threw somebody out already, but I may have dreamed that. I don't know. 
the other story that we've been kind of following is that whole issue of the 25th man on the roster. And of course, Mike Avilas was originally signed I, I, with, we thought, you know, the intention of being kind of a utility guy to fill that 25th role. But that was all before, if I'm not mistaken, that was before they signed Justin Upton. And that really kind of made Avilas just very redundant. In fact, Cameron just did a post for the site just recently talking about how how redundant this whole thing is because you have Avilas who is not if you're not going to use him in the outfield, which you don't need to because they have that covered, then he becomes an infield utility guy. But you've already got, you know, a Machado. You've got an Andrew Romine. You've got, you know, what about Tyler Collins being in that mix? So do you see Avilas even making the 25-man roster? I imagine he will. Um, you know, the Tigers are paying him $2 million. They have, um, you know, they've always kind of taken a couple utility infielders north. Uh, you're going to love this, but I think Brad Ausmus said that they are not redundant, uh, Avilas and Romain, uh, and that's kind of what sparked Cameron's post on the site. So we'll we'll see, but I don't necessarily think that he's going to get cut. Uh, I think he hit home run today too, so he's, you know, performing okay so far in spring training, so there's not, like, a huge reason to cut him as well. And by all accounts, he's a great clubhouse guy too, so that always kind of factors into things. Um, but, yeah, as far as results go, I don't necessarily think that he's the best guy to keep on the 25-man roster, but I think that, you know, between the whole veteran presence and, and whatnot, they, they will end up keeping him. They're totally going to keep him because of intangibles, aren't they? And it's going to drive me crazy all spring. Because I think if you're going to have already a guy on the team like Romine who can play pretty much any position and, and do fairly well with it, and I actually tend to trust his bat a little more at this point, uh, just because he's had so, he's had all of last year to kind of get into the swing of things and seem to be doing well. Um, the train of thought just derailed. I forgot where I was even going with all that. Oh, just saying that if you're going to keep an extra guy on the bench, I would so much rather see you know a, a true uh, thumper, a power hitter, somebody that can come off the bench and not just do like defensive backup stuff, but actually maybe hit a home run. Or even someone who's going to be able to cover some different positions than Romine. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that he's the outfielder, but someone who can maybe cover third, maybe cover first or something like that in case Miguel Cabrera goes down. And, you know, with that comes a little bit more power, you would hope, too. So That's usually those kind of fit one and the same. Isn't that usually where Romine goes, though? He usually goes right to third base late in games. Yeah, to, to third. But Romine is, you know, I guess more of kind of a middle infielder by trade. Um, you know, if the Tigers wanted to bring aboard some sort of bat, you know, somebody who can cover, you know, maybe third and first. I'm, I guess I'm kind of envisioning a Jeffrey Marte who hits better mm-hmm. uh, and something in that role. Uh, I'm not concerned at all uh, by any means of losing Marte to the Angels. I'm just saying that, you know, someone kind of in that mold who can cover those positions, I think, would be a better fit as far as being able to back up certain positions than, you know, having both Romine and Avila's kind of middle, middle infielders uh, by trade. Now, looking at this whole issue of the fifth starter, because that's been another popular storyline, and uh, as we're watching spring training unfold right now, you notice that some days uh, it'll be Daniel Norris that'll start, and then Shane Green will throw in relief, and other days they'll switch that, and Shane Green will start, and Norris will throw in relief. It's kind of interesting how they're treating that. I'm still not sure that uh, it's really up for grabs at this point, especially not with the way I've seen Norris throw. I don't know if you caught that game. I think it was Monday's Maybe it was Monday's game against the Mets. I think that he pitched and was on. It was on TV. Anyway, he looked really good. That curveball looked so devastating. Uh, he's only going to get better. I don't really think this is up for grabs. I don't see Shane Green winning that away from him. 
I don't necessarily know how up for grabs it is, but this is really kind of how the Tigers have treated some of these battles in the past. I think that, you know, back in, what was it, 2013, um, that they had Smiley and Porcello kind of piggybacking starts like that. You know, they've done this and kind of put the two guys, you know, uh, in the same game with each other almost. I don't necessarily know if it's like a psychological thing or what, but they've really kind of done that sort of, I guess, motivation tactic or what have you in the past to get these guys going. Um, So I think that there's a certain amount of competition going on there. I just think that Norris has a sizable lead at this point. He he sure looked good to me, and that's only a, you know an inning or so of work that you actually get to see, and that makes a big difference whether you can see it actually on the television and watch him go through the mechanics and watch the pitch movement versus only kind of hearing the end result on the radio. But what I saw was you know it got me very excited. The fastball looked good. He missed you know his spots a couple of times, gave up a big home run on one of those inside fastballs that got too much of the plate, but. I mean, he must have ripped off two or three really good curveballs that had that, you know, the effect of watching the batter kind of freeze, you know, and just like the knees buckle and all that. Yep, yep, that's, and he's only going to get better. It's just so exciting. It is exciting to watch a guy like that. I kind of agree with your assessment. Um, I saw, you know, he was really kind of missing his spots with the fastball a little bit. But I think a number of guys were. I think he actually pitched in the game against the Rays. Um and it seemed like everyone was missing their spots that day for whatever reason. Didn't that score end up being like eight to seven or something like that? Um, and that, you know, the, just both offenses were really kind of having their way with the pitching staff. So I'm not necessarily sure what went on with that. Um, but the Tigers in general have kind of been missing spots lately. So I don't know if there's like something to like second time through the rotation. Like these guys are, you know, they're, I guess they're a little bit more tired. You know, you come into that first start and you're, you know, nice and fresh. It's the start of spring training and you throw well and everything. And then the second time around, you're like, okay, I got to get back into this, you know, five days later. And they haven't necessarily done that. It's like, you know, when you go to the gym and you work out the first time, you feel okay. But then, like, the next day you're super sore. Right. And you, you know, try to go back, you know, a few days later and you might still be a little bit sore or something like that. So maybe maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Day two is always the worst. Day two back at the gym is, is after day one. It never exactly. ceases to amaze you. Like, oh, man, I'm, I, I was in much better shape than I thought. I feel great. No, wait till, wait till day two. It all falls apart. Uh, the other really interesting thing to watch here, I think, is we were, we were alluding to it earlier, just what we're seeing with Joe Jimenez and the issue of the bullpen. And we're seeing, hey, there might you know be a need for some depth. With what Joe Jimenez is doing right now, though, that devastating triple-digit fastball, this new bendy slider, slurve, curvy thing that he's doing, he's striking batters out like crazy again. Is he going to make the roster for opening day? I don't know if he makes the opening day roster, um, but there's a scouting term. There's an actual scouting term for a guy like Joe Jimenez, and that term is mother <laughs> uh, He just looks unhittable. Uh, I was I was just just that's blown a, away that's an by his appearance. I, I I think I don't know maybe, okay. but um, they but I was blown away with what he you know what he kind of brought to the table uh, in that in that appearance the other day. Um, you know the fastball looks great. He had a couple of guys swinging through that and that breaking ball, curveball, slider, whatever you want to call it. Holy crap, man! That looked awesome. So I don't necessarily know if they'd bring him up for opening day. That is a long jump from single A. Uh, but I would not be shocked at all to see him on the roster at some point this year. Yeah, I really, before the season started, I know I said, no, he definitely needs to spend 
the full, you know, of 2016, the entirety of 2016 in the minors, seasoning himself, getting up through double A into triple A, let him make a natural progression. But, you know, I was thinking yesterday or day before when I, he, when he did that performance and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. He threw that breaking ball that Kurt Gibson called a bowel locker because it locks up your bowels. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And I started to think, you know what? We do have precedent. There is a precedent for this in Corey Knable who pitched, yeah, I think it was 2013 in West Michigan, and I sat and watched him pitch all these games and this, had the same kinds of feelings, like, oh, he's really good. This is really cool. We've got a guy in the bullpen. He was up in Detroit the very next year. He made this huge leap very quickly. So, I mean, it's it's there. The precedent's there. Joe Jimenez could go from single A 2015 to you'll see him in Detroit middle of 2016. Well, a lot of these bullpen arms worth their, worth their salt are able to do stuff like that. Uh, you see, you know, guys make big jumps through the minors quite a bit. Um, you know, you see guys like, you know, uh, Jeff Farrell and whatnot last year who made his debut last year. He jumped two or three levels in the minor leagues. And I believe he was throwing at maybe Lakeland uh, one year. Um, and so you see guys make huge jumps all the time. Uh, so it's not necessarily surprising. And with a guy, you know, like Jimenez who offers, you know, just two overpowering pitches. Uh, it almost, you know, if he's pitching well in the minor leagues and they can't touch him, it almost seems like a waste to use some of those pitches down there, you know, and get him up in the majors and let him have an impact on this team. You know, the, this team that has aspirations to make, to make the playoffs and potentially win a world series. I would still like to see him, you know, get a little bit more time developing. Um, I, you know, he doesn't really have a change up yet. I think that would just make him just filthy, ridiculously never hittable ever again. If he could add that third pitch, the breaking ball looks amazing. That's obviously something new that he's working on. He might need some refinement with that. I'm not sure. Like to get a little bit more fastball command. There's just some little kinks that I think could be worked out. And if and when he does arrive in Detroit, I think he's just such a clear fit for the closer role. You have to wonder at that point, you know, what what do you do with K-Rod? Because the team has the option for 2017, if I'm not mistaken. The Tigers could cut K-Rod loose if Jimenez just turns out to be a monster and, you know, obviously there it is. Boom, you are now the closer of the future. Well, I don't necessarily think they need to shoehorn, shoehorn him into the closer role right now. You have a guy in Kansas City in Kelvin Herrera who was pitching the sixth and seventh inning for a number of years, uh, you know, bringing some of that high-octane stuff. You can fit, uh, you can fit Jimenez into that type of role there, maybe a sixth or seventh inning or something like that, uh, you know, depending on how Justin Wilson and Mark Lowe do. Maybe you, you know, slot Jimenez into seventh or eighth inning or something along those lines. Um, I wasn't all that impressed with Wilson's outing the other day. I know he hung a couple pitches. Lowe looked a little bit better. Um, I think that he, like, hung one pitch, but otherwise looked fine. Um, but, you know, bullpen arms are so finicky in that they could be great one year and awful the next. And, you know, you really just kind of got to, you know, ride the hot hand while it's there. Uh, so, you know, then hope that you have as many of those hot hands as possible. Yeah, both Lowe and Wilson had kind of weird outings that uh, on Monday. Uh, both of them gave up home runs. Both of them, I think, missed badly with pitches inside. But I did one thing I did notice is that Lowe had... I want to say it was his breaking ball that he was throwing that in particular looked pretty filthy and was getting some swings and misses. Wilson, Justin Wilson, I'm talking about the, the one thing that kind of stuck with me there was, Hey, I don't think he's fully ramped up yet. His fastball is still sitting 90, 91. And I think his regular fastball season fastball is more like supposed to be 95. I think 96. Yeah, he's mid nineties. So, 
Yeah, and, and and that's kinda going back to, you know, some of this stuff and that some of these more veteran guys, they're not necessarily, you know, throwing as hard as they can right now. Uh I believe I saw something on another Tigers pitcher today who, you know, maybe wasn't necessarily ramping up the fastball quite as much as you would expect right now, and that's kinda why he was getting hit. Uh, I know the Tigers had mentioned that Bruce Rondone was starting to get up into that 99, 100-mile-an-hour range just now. So it takes it takes a little bit of time for these guys to get back to get back into it. And that's why I just kind of, you know, you, like you had written today on the site, that it's more about watching the process of anything rather than the actual results. Yeah, there's really no reason to ramp it up and give it, you know, 110% right now in spring. I would think you'd want to kind of slow cycle at first and work up to it, uh, you know, especially for some of these guys that already – they know what they're doing. We talked about how the fact that, you know, K-Rod hasn't even pitched a game yet. And uh, one of the announcers, I don't recall who, was pointing out and saying he, he never does. He never does this. He's got this kind of routine down by now. He's a veteran pitcher. Uh, he tends not to pitch in spring training until the last couple of weeks. And he's just, he knows what he's doing. So he's got his own warm up, you know, get back into the right of summer or whatever. So I just, yeah, right now we're just kind of watching guys get, you know, get up to speed at this point. And um, God, it was even, it was Max Scherzer who said, I loved that what he said after his first outing and somebody asked him, you know, like basically it seemed like a pretty uh, simplified performance, something to that effect. And he said, yeah, I'm only showing them the vanilla. There's no point in showing them the chocolate and strawberry right now. It's spring training. Well, it's it's especially true for some of these guys who they're facing division opponents. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that the teams like in the past have like intentionally hidden some of their starters from division opponents and whatnot because they don't necessarily wanting these guys seeing them and getting a good look at them like, uh, you know, close to the season and whatnot. Um, As far as spring training and whatnot, I actually saw a tweet today from Brandon McCarthy, the Dodgers pitcher. Um, He was replying to someone who had written a post on like, the question like is spring training too long and he said something like said he said anybody who said no should be fined and thrown from a plane <laughs> and that brandon mccarthy is on the saying that spring training is far too long even for the starting pitchers who is who are ramping up so you know having them struggle right now not necessarily in any of the world no and just the other day in fact uh, ian kinsler was doing a little one of those in-game interview things and i, I was kind of found it interesting that he said uh and in response to Kurt Gibson's question of like, how many at bats do you need before you really feel like you're, you know, ready to roll and get ready to, with the regular season? He said 60. I thought, wow, that's interesting. So he said 60 at bats and I feel like I'm ready to go. And they're nowhere near that right now. So no spring training probably is not too long. It's probably just barely long enough at this point. Yeah. And well, and I thought it was interesting that he had also said that he was almost more, they're almost more concerned with getting some of the defensive reps down mm-hmm. uh, in game and that, you know, you get plenty of the at bats, but he was like, yeah, I've gotten like one ground ball hitting it hit right. at me so far. And he's like, and I'm trying to, you know, kind of get that out of the way a little bit. So I, I thought that was an interesting response to it and that, you know, they're almost looking to get ready on the defensive end of some of this too. Although we saw, what was it like a couple of years ago that Miguel Cabrera got hit in the face with a ground ball because right. of the crappy infield. So yes. don't necessarily need too many screamers hit at these guys, but you know, get them get them ready for the season as far as that goes too. All good things, good things to keep our eyes on for the next few weeks as we watch the spring training games continue. We will wrap that up then, and when we come back into the mob scene at home, we'll take some listener questions, and it's Moya, Moya, Moya when we get back. Swing the fly ball left field, deep going back, Cabrera looking up, and it's gone a home run. James McCann with the walk off winner. Number three, rounding 
third. Exchanges the low 10 with Dave Clark. And into the mob scene at home. And so into the mob scene we go. This is the portion of the show where we take questions from the listeners. After uh, two weeks in a row of getting inundated with so many questions that we had to turn in lightning rounds, this week it just seems to have like kind of dried up. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe they're all on the disabled list. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're they're all to, hurt too. We need our reps, guys. You know, we're trying to get in the midseason form. You got to kind of bring bring the heat a little. Well, bit. Well, they tried. They tried to bring the triple digit heat and got hurt. <laughs> Owned. Bring it again. Let's try it. Oh, goodness. If you want to get a hold of us, you can get us on Twitter. I am at HookslideBYB. Rob is at BYBRob. Uh, you can always get us at the website, BlushyBoys.com, um, at BlushyBoys on Twitter, or just shoot off an email at BYBTigers at gmail.com. First question coming from Corey McKee at CornFedTiger on Twitter. How do you see Dixon Machado fitting into the Tigers' future plans, if at all, i.e. future starting shortstop, utility man, trade chip, I wonder if the Tigers had tried to float Machado at all over the offseason as far as a trade ship goes. Um, you know, he had kind of a, you know, a subpar offensive season at AAA last year, and he's going to get a chance to kind of improve on that. He's still fairly young. I think he's only 23 right now. Um, but this is his last option year, and so the Tigers kind of have to make make a decision on him as to you know what he's going to provide with them going forward. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be a starter for them, I think Jose Iglesias is, you know, clear-cut better than Machado, especially offensively at this point. Um, so, you know, Machado may turn into kind of a utility infielder, and they may end up bringing him up kind of into that role next season if they don't find a suitable trade partner for him. Um, but, you know, the best-case scenario for them is for Machado to really kind of hit the cover off the ball this year and to get someone who needs a shortstop to kind of over, overpay for him and give the Tigers, you know, hopefully, you know, a decent pitching prospect or something along those lines. You know who needs a shortstop right now? Hey, I already said that. The Cardinals. <laughs> I tweeted that yes. as soon as I saw that. It's just funny the way that uh, that whole thing unfolded. Johnny Peralta has sprained his thumb, is going to be out for like two or three months, and so suddenly the Cardinals find themselves without a starting shortstop for this Well, season. apparently they, they have like a prospect, almost kind of like a Machado-like prospect. Well, of course they do. The Cardinals, they've got like eight of these guys lined up on the conveyor belt. Like, oh. Yeah, but the, the, the way that they described this guy, it was like, holy crap, that's Dixon Machado. <laughs> He's a pretty good fielder, but the bat is kind of a question. Uh, he had a little bit more power at like double A AA or triple A or something last year. Um, but still, you know, maybe they bring him up. Maybe they move someone else around. I don't know, but it sounds like they've already kind of got the guy in house. Mm-hmm. And because he's a Cardinal, he'll hit 25 home runs this year, just cause that's, that's how it works. They have magic. No, he won't do anything during the regular season, but they'll make the playoffs and then he'll hit like 600 with 12 homers during the playoffs. <laughs> he'll be the, the Daniel Murphy. No, I was just looking at, uh, Jose Iglesias's, uh, contract details. Cause I couldn't remember when, when he comes off of when he becomes a free agent that's not until 2019 so it's not a situation where i think the tigers can kind of just hang on to machado until iglesias is ready to hit free agency and hit the market yeah they're gonna they're gonna have to float float machado i think at some point well if lynn if lynn henning was running the team they just trade ian kinsler and let machado start they would have traded kinsler in 2014 if if Lynn Henning had had his way, Kinsler wouldn't have played at all. It's like, oh, we've got him, let's trade him. Oh, boy. Steve Kelly at S underscore Kelly 15 on Twitter says, if Holiday keeps hitting, they can't really put him on waivers, can they? Someone will claim him. 
Would they cut Salty for him? I don't think there's any chance they cut Jared Saltalamakia for him. Um, but I do agree that you know someone will claim Holiday if he's put on waivers. I know that there are a couple teams out there, the Blue Jays in particular, that have a history of claiming pretty much anyone that gets put on waivers and trying to sneak them through uh, themselves. Um, you know, Holiday's a decent backup catcher, a guy with a lot of club control remaining, and that's kind of a valuable asset to have if you can get your hands on it. You know, he's not really going to be a starter, I don't think, but having a backup, you know, making basically the league minimum, that's a good thing for an organization to have. Um, as far as, you know, if he keeps hitting like this, I mean, obviously he's not going to keep hitting 600, but if he keeps hitting, you know, decently with some power during spring training, I guess the idea that I've all, that I've kind of had over the last few days is, you know, what do they do with him compared to Mike Avilas? Um, in that, you know, holiday, they've, the, the reporters have talked about Holiday pulling out his third baseman's mitt, getting a few repetitions over there. I think he's appeared at first base in his career, maybe once or twice, just a handful of times. Um, and that if you can get a guy like him who can kind of back up a couple of those positions there, including catcher, that's you know a little bit different than what Mike Avilas provides. And if Holiday hits for power, he's already doing a little bit better than Avilas is offensively. And I think that that just provides a more diverse and more diverse roster than if you have two utility infielders, one of whom can't really hit broadside of the barn in Avivas. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go way out on a limb here and say that Holiday is not gonna keep hitting like this. Uh, it's it's awfully hard to see past the smoke and mirrors right now, just because he's destroying everything in sight. But that's not something that Brian Holiday has ever done. And people people have pointed out and keep pointing out that you know he's hit three home runs in spring training, and it, wasn't that like his his MLB career total is like three ever in his career? I know he's only ever hit like two in spring training in the five years leading up to this. So what we're seeing is is not normal, which doesn't mean that you know maybe he retooled his swing and maybe you know I don't know there's some difference there that might have some lasting results, but he's not going to keep doing this. And I think that in about a week, week and a half, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, week, week and a half from now, this isn't even going to be a question. He's going to come back to earth. He's going to be the Brian Holiday that we've all kind of gotten used to seeing. And people aren't going to be kind of clamoring, going, well, is he going to bump Salty from the, what do we do with him? It's it's not even going to be an issue in about a week and a half. Probably not. Uh, you know, it's still early in spring training, but these are just kind of the things that you think about when you don't really have much else to do. It's true. You know? It's so true. I mean, I'm bored out of my skull here. So more baseball games and more meaningless results for me to talk about. It's great. I love it. At least I'm not shoveling snow out of the driveway. Uh, Cleveland James asks, what does Stephen Moya need to show in Toledo this year to earn the call-up? I don't necessarily know that Moya is going to get a midseason call-up. You know, really kind of if he does anything. I think it's going to take an injury for him to get called up during the season. Um, he'll get called up in September, again, I imagine. Um, but the real question is what happens in 2017. Now, Moya will be out of options at that point, so the Tigers will either need to put him on the major league roster or cut him. Um, and the, how the outfield shakes up now, you still have J.D. Martinez, you still have Justin Upton, you still have Anthony Ghost covering center field, uh, and you have an option for Cameron Mabin. Now, neither of Upton or Martinez or Moya can play center field, so it's either you know you kind of have Moya on the bench in, in a pinch-hitting role, or you try to trade him somewhere else, or, God forbid, you even try to trade someone like Martinez or Upton. Um, so that'll be interesting to see exactly how that happens. And I think that it would take a, 
absolutely monster, monster, monster season for the Tigers to consider moving one of the actual stars on the roster. So we'll we'll see, but I think it's going to take a a big, big season for uh, him to really kind of shake things up too much. I'm, you know, very much rooting for the guy and hoping that he does improve. On, you know, on the on the offensive side and really develop into a, a true, you know, power hitter, one that actually hits with consistency. Uh, but I think his future and probably the future that I kind of prefer for him is that he ends up getting traded for something else. Uh, just because, as you said, his natural positions in the, in the corner outfield, there he's blocked, and he's blocked by legitimate stars. Um, there are he's other... blocked, but he's only blocked for one season, though, and that's the thing is that you kind of got to wonder what the Tigers are going to do because after 2017, you know, you're without either Martinez or Upton, or potentially even both. I imagine they'll do whatever they can to keep one of those guys. I was say, they'll take uh, one of them. Yeah, uh, but then you're still looking for another corner or outfielder there. And if Moya's ready, you know, maybe he's just kind of spent a year chilling out on the bench or whatever. Um, but then you still have five more years of him after that. And I think that that's more important than, you know, the one season of him right now. I don't think you necessarily trade him away because he's blocked for one year. You can kind of hide him on the roster. I mean, it's either that or they have another utility infielder sitting yeah. there. So. I, mean, I, I guess I'm just envisioning a future in which J.D. Martinez is a Tiger for a lot longer and Justin Upton is not, and that at mm-hmm. some point here in the next year or two, Michael Gerber ends up kind of moving all the way up and becomes that corner outfielder in the, le- in the left field spot, a la Andy Dirks. And so I'm just, not, I'm just not sure that, that Stephen Moy is going to have a long-term place there. And if he kind of improves his value in the trade market, look, there are going to be places, you know, spots that they legitimately will need to fill in a couple of years. But at the same time, Gerber's only done that at single A so far. I mean, if you look at the two, mm-hmm. Moya's the one that's had an MVP type season at double A. It's true. Uh, but Moya's also the one who's, you know, kind of lingered at the higher levels. And we've said, yeah, we don't really see the, you know, the ceiling. We haven't seen it yet, but Gerber hasn't even gotten to the higher levels. And I'm saying Gerber has, he's the guy that you look at and go, he's actually got discipline at the plate. He can actually hit the ball. Maybe not with the power of Moya, but Moya, you look at it and go, geez, stop swinging at every freaking thing that's up there. I guess it's more of a philosophical discussion and that yeah. we might even see a guy like Kristen Stewart come up and take, oh, that's take that left field role. Um, but I guess you just don't necessarily want to get rid of assets when you have them. Hmm. And, you know, having a guy like Moya, if he's blocked for one season, you kind of got to just try to work your way around that. Uh, it's a little bit different than a guy like Brian Holiday, who's yeah obviously blocked for a year, but he's not necessarily going to have the same kind of upside that a guy like Moya does. Whereas, you know, if Moya has a big season this year, and this is, and I guess this whole, this whole discussion kind of banks on Moya having a big season at AAA in 2016. Right. You know, if he's coming off of a great season, you kind of just got to make do for 2017 until he takes that spot in 2018. And then, you know, when you get to 2018, you kind of deal with any sort of logjam as, as it comes along. Which was, in fact, the actual question. What does Stephen Moya need to show in Toledo? Uh, and like I said, I don't think he's going to earn any kind of a call up this year. But in terms of you know what I think they want to see out of him in Triple A, it's just all the things that we've been talking about. Take more a walks. few more walks, please. Take the walks. Don't swing at everything. Make better contact more consistently. Try to raise that batting average a little bit. You know, maybe is is a secondary you know goal. But if he can have a decent season in Toledo, then yeah, it's a, it's a nice problem to have. Tom Ferguson asks, how much trade value does Dixon Machado have at this point? I don't think he has too much. Uh, I think that if his value was relatively high, the Tigers might have traded him this offseason. 
you know, especially if they could have gotten a decent pitcher or something like that back in return. Uh, you know, he's a nice insurance to have in case Jose Iglesias goes down for an inj- with an injury. But like you said, with Iglesias being around for four more years, you don't necessarily need Machado. I mean, Andrew Romine's kind of a decent injury replacement there. I mean, if, you know, if Iglesias, God forbid, does go down for a long term again, you can kind of find your way to, you know, finding another shortstop or whatnot. I don't think Machado is you know, so valuable to the Tigers at this point that they need to keep him around in case Iglesias gets hurt. You know, he's really kind of the third guy on the depth chart, if you think about it. And if you can turn that into, you know, a starting pitcher or, or someone that can help you long-term, I think that's more valuable. Um, so I think that, you know, based on that, I just don't think the market's very high for him at this point. I think teams are still waiting to see if he can really kind of hit at the higher levels. Yeah, I'm going to agree with all of that because, I mean, you talk about him being a nice backup option, and that's great. He is. But although, you know, let's let's look at it this way. I was going to say, how much can you really get for a, you know, middling infield backup guy? And uh, isn't that exactly what they traded away in the offseason to get Francisco Rodriguez in the first place? Well, they traded Javier Betancourt for him, right? He was only like Lakeland. Or something like that, right? Yeah. So, so basically, a, little, a middling I mean, infield prospect. Yeah, but at the same time, a couple of level, lo- a couple levels lower than that. You That's know, you'd my like point. to think that maybe you can get a little bit more. Yeah. For that, maybe you can get you know a starter type or whatnot. Or right. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, wow. I guess if you could get that for Betancourt, you can get a legitimate closer. That maybe there is some value in Dixon Machado. I guess it just depends on what they end up needing. Uh, we know in a couple of years, a guy like Mike Pelfrey is going to fall off the, the roster. You know, at some point you're going to need to plug a hole in the starting rotation. I'm pretty sure Anibal Sanchez's arm is going to just fall off or leave home next year. So yeah, that's, you can never have too much pitching. We know that now, don't we? Boy, have we learned that lesson. All right. Last question. Ben Harvey says, should we even it up and hit Jacoby Ellsbury in the wrist? <laughs> because <laughs> alluding to the fact that, as we said earlier, uh, in last Wednesday's game on March the 2nd, uh, the one of the Yankees pitchers uh, was Severino hit Cameron Mabin and, and fractured his wrist. That wasn't the end of it. The, they t- they played the Yankees a couple days later that Friday and got hit. Like two more guys got hit. And I remember after the game, Brad, even Brad Osman said something like, hey, I'm sure they're not doing it on purpose. At the same time, we're not going to look too kindly on this if it keeps up. So Yeah, but I, I don't think it's on purpose or anything like that. Um, you know, I guess the, the Yankees just kind of suck at pitching right now. <laughs> and if you look at the rotation, they kind of do. You know, Severino's going to be, you know, a good young arm for them. But other than that, who do they have? They have Michael Pineda, who apparently is looking very pudgy this spring. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if you saw that picture, I but did. he was he was looking a little Sandoval esque. <laughs> um, but then you have CC Zabathia, who's coming off of a number of years of you know subpar production at this point, and they don't really have much else there. Um, so. You know, they do kind of suck at pitching. I don't necessarily know you need to go starting brawls in spring training or anything. And, uh, you know, hopefully they just don't play the Yankees that much more this spring. I know that they're they relatively play them, close. Yeah, they don't play them again until Mar- uh, Mon- yeah. March 28th. And then they play, them so, twi- they play them twice that week. All right. So just rest the starters against them and, you know, send the minor league guys up there. I, you know, it's just a funny thing that, that Brad Osmus even said that because... I know the first thing he said was, no, I'm sure they're not doing it on purpose, but to even tack that bit at the end and say on the, at the same time, we're not taking this kindly if it keeps up, did kind of allude to the possibility of, hey, we might 
start retaliating. I thought, man, if the Yankees are doing this on purpose, that's freaking brilliant. What a great strategy in spring training when you're going to be facing your not divisional rivals, but at least, you know, league rivals, you just start hitting everybody and blame it on, you know, spring training rust. What are you going to do? Are they going to really? Well, well and at the same time, these two teams play each other right in the way in April. I mean, they're, yeah. the, the Yankees are the second season or the second series of the season. So sparks could fly. March 28th is a Monday. They're playing. That's one of the rare evening games uh, in spring training. It's a 635 game. And then again, that Thursday, March the 31st, First, they're playing the Yankees, and that one will be televised on Fox Sports. So maybe one of those two will see some retaliation happening. Uh, the the What's implied in the question, though, and it's funny to me, is should we even it up and hit Jacoby Ellsbury in the wrist? Why would we hit Ellsbury? Yeah, he's not. Maven and Ellsbury aren't really equal talent. Hit, hit A-Rod, and then the other 29 teams in baseball will <laughs> applaud us. <laughs> we will be heroes. Why did you hit A-Rod? Because he sucks as a person. And also the Maybin thing. <laughs> like, yeah, cool. All right, that will do it for another Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. When we come back, we'll wrap up with the seventh inning Kvetch. Anthony Ghost is having growing pains. We'll talk all about that when we get back. Three now. Here's the 2-2. Two, two. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Osmus better get out there quickly. Wow. Well, welcome back from the break. Here we go into the seventh inning, Kvetch, our final segment for the show. Let's talk a little bit, Rob, about this whole situation with Anthony Ghost. It seems like it's been kind of a hot topic. It's come up a couple different times in different posts and articles on the radio. Um, just to kind of set the stage, even you and I have talked over, over the offseason about the fact that advanced metrics don't like him. StatCast seems to like him, but numbers like defensive runs saved and things like that, have you know they did not treat him well last year. And so he recently, in an interview, said basically that, that he called him a scam. Advanced uh, defensive metrics are a scam. He doesn't buy into it. Um, but then even you have guys like Dan Dickerson on the radio saying, no, in fact those numbers are telling a story that we should pay attention to. Namely, it's his positioning. He doesn't position himself correctly deep enough in the outfield. Do you agree with that assessment? I think I do now. Um, you know, I kind of took a look at not necessarily some of the numbers, um, but I took a look at Fangraphs has these like defensive heat maps and that they show like where each ball uh, you know, a player field the ball or where it kind of ended up. And I, I looked at ghost compared to some of the other guys, some of the better fielders in the American league. Um, you know, I kind of took all these names from a, a graphic that MLB network showed, you know, some of the top center fielders in terms of stat cast, uh, in, in the American league last year and ghost really kind of grades out poorly compared to some of these other guys, particularly on balls that are hit, you know, to the deeper parts of the park and over his head, um, I imagine you could probably blame some of that on the pitching from last season. Uh, I imagine there were you know a fair number of streamers going over his head. Um, but it really kind of seems like Ghost misplays a few more, or at least more balls fall in uh, in the deeper regions of the park compared to some of these other guys. You know, guys like Kevin Perlar, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Trout. You know, really the the top defenders in the game. Uh, so maybe it's an unfair comparison, but at the same time, it seems like Ghost's positioning is kind of hurting him in that. And that, you know, with more balls going over his head, you know, maybe he should be playing a little bit deeper and, 
you know, you can kind of give up some of these, you know, singles, you know, and short hops and whatnot for some of the balls going over his head. They're going for, for extra bases, allowing guys to score from second and first and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, I think the Tigers are kind of making a conscious effort to back him up a little bit in hopes of, you know, uh, allowing fewer of these extra base hits in 2016. It certainly seems like that, which brings us to the little incident, the little outburst that happened on Sunday and Sunday's game against the Marlins. Uh, it was early in the game. I think it was even the first inning uh, where one of the batters had looped a little, you know, short hop single into center field and Ghost had to field it on one hop. And they were saying he was playing a lot deeper than he normally did. But apparently uh, the way that Dan Dickerson described it, in fact, I'll just go ahead and play the clip now and then we'll kind of come back and talk about it. Upright stance, right on top of the plate for Jason Bohr. He swings a little jam job line vibe. He's going to drop into center field. Fielded on a couple of skips by Anthony Ghost. And Danny said, if you let me play in like I like to, I would make that play. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> I'm telling you. He just leaned back and looked to the heavens. <laughs> That's funny. It is. <laughs> Arms up in the air now. <laughs> you want me to play deep? All right. That's funny, and he noticeably was deeper. Yes, he On a was. day when the wind is blowing in, you would think he would uh, challenge the convention. Uh. There's a strike on the outside corner. It is an interesting thing to watch. I, I know we've talked about it, but it, it truly the, the depth of where he plays and how he plays center field and how many plays he makes right. is something to watch this sure year. Is. That's right. I do think the numbers are trying to tell a, a bit of a story with Ghost last year in terms of how many plays he made. 3-2 runner goes, swinging a line drive, base it into center field. Rounding second and holding is Bohr, while Bohr did not get a good jump. First of all, he took off late and should be on third if he was running with two outs, but instead he stops at second. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he's told about the, about the arm out there, but he should have been third base. And again, probably Anthony said, look, if I'm in a little bit closer... I might, I might be able to get the ball to second base and force him out. <laughs> it's going to be a battle with Anthony, isn't yeah, it? Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> and you, you admire that, and I think it's great. But uh, the coaches will win out overall. I have that feeling. The, the numbers are just too, I think, uh, glaring in terms of the best center fielders, the ones who get to the most balls, the ones who are taking the doubles and right. triples away, play deeper. I mean, That's it's, right. It's fairly logical. I mean, I know what Anthony is talking about when he says he feels like he can take more singles away, but the doubles and triples hurt you more in the end, even if you're not uh, giving up a lot. If you take away eight singles and give up three doubles or three and four doubles, sure. triples, Absolutely. it's going to hurt you in the sure end. Is. That's why he did not grade out above average last year in some systems. And he's playing noticeably deeper right now. There's no question about it. There's a swing and a ground ball at first base. Okay, so there, I mean, there's the basic parts. You have Ghost playing deep. You have him giving up a single that he clearly didn't want to give up. I'm not sure, Rob, because I didn't see it on television. We only have the audio feed to go off of, but I, I'm kind of wondering how much of a big deal he did make out of it. You have Dan saying he's got his arms up in the air, you know, which would seem to be a gesture of frustration. But, I mean, do you really think he's... Uh... Uh, let me put it this way. Jim said something there, you know, about he's going to be a problem. You know, he's going to be a challenge to work with ghosts on this. I'm, I'm not sure I'm buying that. See, I kind of go both ways on this. Uh, you know, Dan and Jim are really kind of laughing about the whole situation on the air. So it makes me wonder that, you know, maybe this wasn't like a huge deal. He's just kind of, you know, throwing his hands up in the air and saying, oh, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe he did it with a smile on his face. We we really don't know, and that's kind of the tough part of mm-hmm. only being able to hear this on the radio and not seeing it on TV. Um, but at the same time, there have there have kind of been rumblings, you know, even in from Ghost's days in Toronto that he was, you know, maybe a little bit tough to work with. On I don't necessarily want to say a problem in the clubhouse, but you know, just kind of, you know, has maybe a little bit of attitude and and as far as coaching and and some of that goes. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how he responds to some of this. Uh, you know, coaches positioning outfielders is nothing new. That's been going on for, you know, 100 years uh, in baseball. So it'll be interesting to see. And with Ghost saying he doesn't necessarily believe in advanced metrics, I don't think that really matters. Uh, you know, he doesn't need to believe in the metrics. He just needs to be able to listen to his coach telling him where to go and go catch the ball. Uh, that That's really all that matters in, in terms of, you know, being able to track down fly balls and whatnot um and so you know there may be some butting heads there and and we'll see how that goes but i just don't necessarily seeing it being a big problem you know we mentioned some of these uh, i don't know i guess attitude issues but we didn't hear a peep about that last season you know jose iglesias was the guy that everyone was concerned about because that little dugout scuffle not necessarily goes yeah, and I don't recall anything coming up after that game. It's, you know, here we are recording this on Wednesday. This happened on Sunday. I don't recall seeing any questions, answers, you know, from the media saying, hey, is there a problem with Anthony Ghost? And you brought up a great point in that, yeah, he may have thrown his hands up in the air, but that may have been, yeah, it could have been an act of defiance. Like, hey, see, I told you. Or it could just as easily have been him kind of just, you know, ribbing the coach. Like, ha what I tell you? You know, you never know, really, because you don't see it. I just think, look, we, we, we talked about reading Big Data Baseball and how the whole thing was the Pirates wanted to employ you know extreme defensive shifting, and there was some pushback from the players, and you would think that that's normal. You would expect Anthony Ghost to give a little bit of pushback, just like you know a shortstop for the Pirates would say, hey, I'm not comfortable leaving my position to go all the way over and play in shallow right field. I'm going to get a little weirded out by that. You know, it takes it's going to take some time to get, you know, I'm playing out of position. I don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, the, the pitchers were upset because, look, you might have a squib or ground ball that ends up, you know, getting through a spot where a guy just was. I would imagine I'm just saying that Anthony Ghost is probably dealing with all of those things. Hey, I'm used to playing more shallow uh, I'm out of my depth out here. You know, it's weird to me. That kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I that's kind of why I think that it's not necessarily a huge deal. Uh, yeah, I think he'll get used to playing a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I imagine that, uh, you know, he kind of tended to play shallow for most of his baseball playing career, you know, in high school guys probably weren't hitting the ball that far. And so he was able to track down what did go over his head fairly easily. You know, even maybe, I don't necessarily remember if he went to college. Um, but you know, he's been able to kind of get away with playing shallow a little bit more aggressive whatnot. And now that, you know, hitters are bigger, bigger, faster, stronger, uh, they're able to hit the ball over his head and probably, you know, with probably more often and he was used to his career, so he has to adjust to that. And I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, but I don't think that it's going to be a huge problem. Yeah, I don't either, and I don't even think it's a problem now. I honestly don't. There's going to be a little pushback. Like I said, it's it's only natural. Um, you know, he's he's going to be out of his comfort zone a little bit, and that's going to take some time. But I do believe, you know, like Dan Dickerson said, um, if you're going to give up hits you'd rather be giving up singles than the extra base hits and if he can get that under control and make some improvements even some minor improvements well you've got a, a much better defensive center fielder than what we saw last year yeah and you know you take a look at some of the numbers there if he 
you know, if his defensive metrics improve and he's kind of, you know, maybe a league average defender or a little bit better, he's like a two or three win player. Uh, you know, his offense wasn't that bad last year. We've kind of dove into the splits and shown that he's actually, you know, fairly decent against right-handed pitching. You know, if he was able to do that, maybe he'll shore up the base running a little bit too. He stole. I was actually shocked by this in that, you know, I was watching one of the games and the announcers said that he stole 23 bases last year. Do you remember? He did. How many deals? Yeah, 23. Well, so, I, only, I only watched 23 games last year. So. Right. So, like, it's just, it's... It was kind of surprising. So, I mean, he has the potential to be kind of a valuable player for the Tigers. You know, if he's providing two or three wins from center field for, you know, I think he's still making the league minimum or close to it at this point. That's a valuable asset to have. And so, you know, if playing deeper allows him to reach that, that's a great thing for the Tigers. The the defensive numbers were pretty ugly. You know, I, I, I can't remember the exact total, but I want to say Fangraph's had him at something like negative 10 or 11 maybe even negative 12 defensive runs saved last year so that's you know that 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 is kind of a big chunk if that's accurate and if simply having him play back a little bit play a little deeper take away some more extra base hits cuts that off then yeah like that's that's a huge pickup you know and the Tigers could actually be in a situation where they have a solid you know pair of center fielders that are preventing runs and it's exactly what you need to have happen yeah, and especially with some of the guys, you know, more of the fly ball pitchers on staff. Um, I think Anibal Sanchez is a little bit more of a fly ball guy. I know Justin Verlander, he's kind of in that 40% fly ball rate uh, kind of zone. And so if you've got guys allowing a lot of fly balls, I know that Mike Pelfrey is really kind of the only ground ball starter on the staff. Um, you need to have an outfielder that can go get that. And, you know, just based on what we saw from Anthony Ghost last year, kind of the eye test, you know, it seemed like he was pretty good at tracking down balls in the gap. And I think it's really just kind of some of the deeper stuff that, that gets him from time to time. So if you can back him up a little bit and prevent some of that, you know, you know, singles will drop in and whatnot. But I think that it's it's going to improve their numbers overall. And that is yet one more thing for us to kind of keep our eyes on some, you know, exciting things developing here in spring training, in addition to being able to watch prospects and pitchers that we're excited to see and just the developing results. We'll get to kind of keep an eye on Anthony Ghost and see if his defense improves along the way as well. And that should just about do it as we wrap up another episode of The Voice of the Turtle. Rob, what are the final words? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Pride of Detroit, the SB Nation. Lands blog. I know that they've had you on their podcast. Uh, we've also had uh, Pride of Detroit's Chris Lemieux on the podcast as well. Uh, I think they, I was listening to their episode last week and they were actively campaigning to have Jets Pizza sponsor the podcast. Yes. And so I sent them a, sent them a tweet and tried to get Jets on their bandwagon as well. But hey, if Jets Pizza wants to sponsor our podcast too, we would gladly take the money and or pizza that they provide. Uh, so shout out to both Pride of Detroit and Jets Pizza. Jets Pizza it is. We will take sponsorships at this point. I'm going to start just like calling all the uh, uh, the local Detroit companies that advertise with XYT. So I'm going to have to like, you know, get Bell Tire to sponsor us. And then, you know, like o- O'Reilly's, uh, Weingarts. And then at the end of that, I have to get, I have to call Sam. I have to call Sam Bernstein and see yep. if, if he would like to sponsor <laughs> a spot on the show. Oh man, I would do it. I mean, it'd be funny, but I would I would totally do it. Welcome to the to the voice of the turtle brought to you by the 1-800 Call Sam Studios. Yeah. All right. Remember, we are only one half of the conversation, you're the other half. So leave your comments for us at the website at blessyboys.com. 
Find us on Twitter at HookslideBYB and uh, BYB Rob, or send us an email at BYBTigers at gmail.com. So on behalf of Rob Rojacki and Sabermetric scammers everywhere, this is Hookslide saying have a good week and look for chances to take away some extra base hits if you can. We'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle.